You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning, everybody. You guys showed up. You know, Pastor Ryan probably didn't say that I was going to be here today. That's why you guys showed up or something. But, you know, it's such a joy to be here. It really is. You know, so easy to do pastor hype. Oh, it's so wonderful to be here. You know, hey, it really is. It's so cool. You know, and, and over the I think I've had a chance now to, to, to preach almost 10 times. And, uh, you know, hopefully you're not tired, you know, of that and that uh, uh, it gives some variety you know, to the teaching here uh, at North Valley as well. So it's my joy and uh, your endurance that I really appreciate here. Hey, I love this series. I, I, I love teaching by series because it gives you an opportunity to look forward to something. Oh, I, I, you know, we're, we're talking about parables. We're talking about the moral of the story and so on. So it kind of gives you a little bit of a, a, a deal here. But can I start by just saying something about what we're going to talk about? And that is what a terrible habit so many of us have of comparing ourselves to other people. We all do. I, I mean, we're all in that same camp together. We all do it and stuff. We know we shouldn't do it. We know it. But we feel a little bit superior when we see someone who, who maybe doesn't make as much, doesn't have a nice house, car, whatever like that, or not as good looking, you know, whatever it might be. Or we feel inferior when we see somebody else who has stuff that we don't have. And, and the whole bottom line is comparison never wins, ever, on any level at all. Whether you're in the schoolyard as a kid, whether you're an adult, a more mature adult, whatever it is, nobody ever wins with a game of comparison. Well, today, we're going to look at a parable that Jesus taught, and we'll see that whole theme of comparison in it. It's found in Matthew chapter 25. So early on, I want you to you know, open up your device or open up your Bible. Uh, we'll have it up on the screen as well. To Matthew chapter 25. And I want to remind you what you've already heard these last couple of weeks about a parable, but it's just a reminder as you're doing that right now. I want to remind you that a parable is a made-up story. You understand that? <clears throat> None of the stories and the parables in the Bible ever happened. Jesus made them up. He's not lying. He was using them as an illustration, an illustration that somehow in some way would, would bring home one central point. That's the idea behind it. He, he's creating this, this illustration. Uh, pastors love to take multiple points out of a parable, and they really shouldn't do it because Jesus usually had in mind only one main point whenever he was teaching on parables. And so that's going to be the situation as we look today. In this section in the New Testament, in Matthew, <clears throat> pardon me, Jesus gives a whole bunch of parables, back to back to back. Sometimes in the parable, he would say, let me explain this to you. Sometimes he'd finish, he'd walk off, and everybody would be just a little bit confused when he did it. And sometimes he would bring people in a little bit and he'd say, hey, 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 let me give you the inside track to what I just said. Okay, so we see that all the time here in this parable we're going to look at. Jesus gives the parable, boom, 
He goes off to another one. No explanation, nothing at all. Another thing about parables, and I'm sure we heard this over the last couple of weeks, is that parables, Jesus would often begin by saying, the kingdom of God is like, and then give the parable. Or the kingdom of heaven is like, and then, you know, give his teaching and so on. Parables help us understand how God looks at the world and specifically how God views you and I. How God evaluates us in light of his will. That's what the parables do. And the one today has kind of a surprise ending. I'll just kind of tell you up front. It's a, it's a surprise. It's something you can look forward to. But again, this is a parable. It's a made-up story to illustrate a specific point. Now, the parable we're going to look at is called the parable of the talents. So if you grew up in church world, you probably have heard that term before, the parable of the talents. Well, here it is, starting at Matthew 25, and I'm going to start at verse 14. And this is a little bit different than what I've done here in the past. I'm just going to go verse by verse by verse, and we'll look at one verse and kind of explain it and so on. You'll have a little place in your program to take some notes. You may have to do it sideways in the back, in the front, and so on. But here we go, Matthew 25, starting at verse 14. Jesus talking, he says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. We're going to stop right there. The it there refers to what? What I just said earlier. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven. It is going to be like a man going on a journey. Okay? And it says here that he entrusted, circle that word. Hold on. That's a powerful word. Entrusted his wealth to them. He didn't give it to them. He didn't loan it to them. He entrusted his wealth to them. In other words, I'm going to allow you servants to manage my money. That's what he's saying. And manage different amounts of money while I'm gone. And here's the cool, cool part. He's basically saying, I expect you to do with my wealth what I would do with my wealth. I want you to manage my, I'm entrusting my wealth to you. I expect you to do what I would do. You know, managers of households are pretty common. They're common today too. You have a financial advisor. You know, you, you have a planner. Well, they did back then. Even all the way back to, to, to the book of Genesis. Abraham, chapter 24, he says, you know, Abraham said to his chief servant, the manager of all of his property. Abraham had that kind of, Matthew 20, verse 8, call the workers, give them their wages. That's what the vineyard worker told, or vineyard owner told his manager. Luke 16, you know, the rich man who received an accusation that his manager was squandering his possessions. So the idea of a manager doing something with your wealth of the owner is very, very common. You know it, they know it. And by, oh, by the way, Jesus, when he taught in parables, I love this. I've shared this before. You know what he would do? He was such a master communicator. He would tell a story that basically everybody would start nodding. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I have a manager. Yep. Oh, yeah, I know, I know a manager. He had everybody saying, okay, yeah, okay, I'm with you. I'm with you, Jesus. I'm with you, Jesus. And then at the end, he'd twist it. He'd give the punchline. Everybody would go, whoa, I didn't see that coming. That's what he's doing here. So here it is, verse 15, next one. 
He gave to one five talents of money. He gave another two talents and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went off on his journey. Let's take a look at it. The word talent is entry basically, and I'll just make it simple. Talent is simply a measure of money. Okay, the, the, the New International Version uses the word gold. It could be silver. It's just a measurement of money. And then it also says, according to his ability. So this guy is acting like any boss, any manager, any CEO. He'd look at them, the people in their company and so on, and would say, you know, this guy has got this amount of talent, and this gal has got about this much, and this one has this much. He's looking at life in the way that you and I would look at life. A CEO, a manager, a boss would look at life. Now remember, it's a made-up story. But the owner knows that not everybody has the same skill set. Just like you and I know that as well. Not everybody does. Now one of the things that you need to ask as we're looking at parables is this. Where am I in that story? Because every parable, you can see yourself in the story. The second thing you ask is, where's God in this story? Because every parable has God in the story too. So you're always, as we're going through this, asking the question, hmm, where am I in that story? You know, where do, where do, I, where do I fit? And for the sake of argument, let's just say you're a two-bagger in the story. Okay? I mean, you're not a five-bagger, you're not that good, Okay? Uh, You're not a one-bagger because you're better. Let's just, for the sake of argument as we're going through this, say, I'm a two-bagger. I'm a two-bagger, you're a two-bagger, I'm a two-bagger, and so on. There's always someone better, there's always someone not so good. I'm a two-bagger. Verse 16, the man who'd received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. You want to see a little bit of insight here? The insight is the phrase, at once. It says something about intentionality. It says something about a personal commitment to please his master. He did it at once. He he at once did what the master asked him to do. And it says he gained five more bags. In other words, over time, he invested and got five bags more. In other words, he doubled his investment. Verse 17 so also the one with two bags, two talents, gained two more. That's you and me. We're two baggers and invested and we got two more bags. We doubled our investment just like the other dude. Verse 18. You almost get a bit of a change of the soundtrack here. Because here comes a little bit of the rest of the story. But the man who'd received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. A couple of things to look at. This is, according to this right here, his master's money. It's not his money. And I think when Jesus lays it out, I think you could almost hear the audience going, "Uh uh-oh, you know. I know this is not going to end good, you know, because he's laying out this story. It's not going to be good for that one bagger. In verse 19, it says this. After a long time, the master of those servants returned 
and settled accounts with them. That phrase I have underlined there, after a long time, is important. The reason it is important is when you read all of Jesus' parables, after a long time means a lifetime. It means a lifetime. After you've lived your whole life, and people understand that. We, today, we talk in terms of, you know, when I die, I'm going to meet my maker. When I die, he's going to settle accounts. We already talked that way. They did too. So they understood what he was saying. After a long time, it's after a whole lifetime, the master returns, settles accounts, and asks them, what did you do with what I entrusted to you? What did you do with what you had? And by the way, that's the main theme of this whole parable. Verse 20, the man who received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. Okay, come here. I get so excited about this. Can you imagine what's going on there? This guy, five bagger, could hardly wait to tell the master what happened. He could hardly wait for the master to show up. I get this mental idea that he's looking at his watch. Man, I wonder if he's coming here today. When is he going to show up? I'm so excited on what happened. And he's looking forward to this encounter with his master. He's excited about it. And what he says here, you entrusted me with five talents. You didn't give it to me. You didn't loan it to me. You entrusted me to this. This is what you allowed me to manage for you. I love this. Verse 21. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And at this point, most of us are saying, a few things? That guy had five bags, five talents. And if we look specifically at what a talent monetarily meant back then, we're talking 30 or 40 years of wages. From my perspective, that's not a few things. That's pretty powerful. But the point is, compared to the riches of God, that's a little because God's this big. And what he entrusts to us is just this big. This guy is doing what any good boss will do. When employee does a good job, they're rewarded and they're given more opportunities. You were faithful, you were trustworthy with the little, the few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. This guy is doing what you would do if you were the boss. You want to motivate someone? Hey, good job. Good job. Let me give you this more opportunity. Let me give you your bonus. That's what he's talking about here. It goes on. Verse 22. The man with two talents also came. That's you and I. We're two baggers. Master said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. You get the idea that he's just like the five-bagger. 
I doubled the investment. Come on, master. I, gotta, I can hardly wait to tell you. The master replied the exact same words in response. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Isn't that interesting? It didn't matter if it was a five-bagger or a two-bagger. They both got rewards. And the point is, like I was saying, now things are changing. It's not going to be happy anymore because verse 24 happens. Then the man who'd received the one bag, the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. It isn't interesting that his conversation with his master does not start, you entrusted me. It doesn't start there like the other two. Somehow he lost sight of the fact that something was entrusted to him. Instead, listen to this, he begins by pointing a finger at his master. Before he even talks about what he did or what he did not do, he begins by pointing his finger at the master and he says, listen, it's kind of your fault. It's kind of your fault that this has happened. You see, you're a hard man. You're a, you're a winner-takes-all kind of guy. You're, 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 you get more than your fair share. I know what kind of guy you are, and I'm afraid. So before you get mad at me, I just want you to know I was afraid. Verse 25. So I was afraid. I went out. I hid your talent in the ground. See? Here is what belongs to you. Let me put it together here. It's your fault because you scared me to death. And anyone in my situation would do exactly the same thing. So I hid your talent in the ground. Here's what belongs to you. Not what you've entrusted to me, but what belongs to you. Now listen to this response. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You wicked, lazy servant. And the word wicked is best translated worthless. In fact, the same word is used later on in the parable. Worthless. And you need to know he's not mad because he did something bad. He's mad because he didn't do anything. You get it? So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, that I gather where I have not scattered seed. You, you know I'm a hard driver. You know I have expectations. Verse 27, well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. I mean, he was lazy. He didn't even take it to the bank. He dug a hole. He didn't see it as something entrusted to him to do something with. He missed the whole point. And then, this is what he says. Take the talent, verse 28, from him and give it to the one who has 
10 talents. And here's where everybody in this room gets really spiritual. And we say to ourselves, no, 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 no. That's just not fair. Don't we? Isn't that what we say? It's, it's not fair. I was telling Leslie this morning, I'm going to save this for another sermon here sometime. Because this fairness deal drives me insane. This has nothing to do with the message. I just had to tell you this. Because today, fairness is one of the highest values in our society. And here's the thing that if you're a little more mature, understand. Life isn't fair. Somebody, as you're splitting a Coca-Cola, gets a little bit more than you do. It just happens. Maybe they didn't intend it. It just happens. Fairness, if it is the yardstick that you measure life, you will always be disappointed because life is not fair. And he says you should take the one from the guy and give it, the guy with five, and give it to the guy who only has one. That's fair. But remember, this is just a story. But every good boss manager knows you give more opportunity to the one who's achieving the most. So verse 29. For everyone who has been given more, he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And we all say, that's sure ain't very Christian. You want, I mean, come here. You want the Bible to come alive to you? Then ask the obvious questions. Isn't that what you, that's what I would say. That doesn't sound very Christian. You want stories to come alive. Then do that. And verse 30, and throw that worthless servant, there's that word again, worthless, servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we immediately say to ourselves, you threw him in hell? Obviously, Jesus is saying you don't manage your money well. Well, you're going to hell. Let us pray. (laughs) He doesn't send him to hell. This is a story. He's a rich guy. He can't send anybody to hell. So what does it mean? You're not going to be in my inner circle. Send that guy outside of my influence where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's not pain in this context. Weeping and gnashing of teeth is frustration. Haven't you ever gone, I missed that opportunity. Or you've gone, I wish I hadn't hit the computer return and sent that email. Haven't you ever done that? He's missed this opportunity. I didn't get it. So Jesus is saying, you two, five baggers and two baggers, you got a future. But the one bagger doesn't. That's what he's saying. That's how, all of a sudden this makes sense. And then Jesus, the master communicator, ends the parable and goes on to share another parable. 
And we're left going, give me something, Jesus. But if you look at the rest of the parables, this becomes very, very clear. And this is one worth writing down. This is worth your price of admission this morning. What you have is less important than what you do with what you have. This is the take home for all of us. What you have is less important than what you do with what you have. What you and I have been entrusted with is far less important than what we do with what we've been entrusted with. And that's true whether you're a religious person, whether you're part of church, or this is your first day ever. It applies to all of us. And it's intuitive. It doesn't matter what you start off with. So here's the issue, and I'm going to be really frank. Life is like this. And go with me on this. All of us here have a certain amount of time. Time in this day. Time left to us. We have a certain network of friends. We have a certain network of influence. We have a certain network of business people. We have a family, all of us. You have a certain level of education. You have certain dreams. You have a certain future that you, you're, you're counting on. You have a career. You have a profession. You have a measure of money. You, some, we have talent. We have some skill. Some of us have a measure of health. And then you've got your whole uniqueness, something that makes you, you. And it may be part of the talent, it may be part of the skill, it may be your family background, but you are absolutely 100% unique, nobody like you. And in this parable, there is a sense that this is what has been entrusted to you. That's what's been entrusted to you. You're a two-bagger. That's what's been entrusted to you. And you like some of it that you have. And you don't like some of it that you have. Some of you wish you had more time. Some of you wish you had better health. But it doesn't matter. Because according to this, what Jesus is saying is it's not what you have that's important. It's what you do with what you do have. This is huge. Isn't it interesting? Those of you who know me, and you guys are getting to know me well, I'm a movie guy. You know, I can hardly wait to go out and see the Brad Pitt movie. I'm just, gonna, I just I'm thinking about it right now. I love movies. But you know what movies I love? And they're the same movies you love. It's the movies where somebody starts out with nothing and somehow they end up with something at the end. It's those, it, it, it's those movies. Uh, have you ever seen Million Dollar Arm? You know, here, you know, these, this guy goes down to India to discover the next uh, uh, major league baseball pitcher and, and, and these people had nothing and somehow they brought them out and, and, and they became great pitchers for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Two, two of them did. Or, or maybe, you know, uh, uh, um, the whole thing about uh, a pursuit of happiness. Some guy who is homeless pulls himself up and becomes a stockbroker. 
or one of my favorites, like Blindside. You know, where you have this whole, you know, picture of, of Michael Orr, who had zero opportunities in his life. And then because somebody cared and poured into him, he became the number one draft pick and one of the great leaders on the Ravens, the NFL. We love those stories. But what you don't hear is you don't hear these stories. Well, I got up every morning and I thought about what I don't have. You know, everybody's got more opportunities than me. You know, I don't have enough money. I'll never amount to much anything. Successful people know that it doesn't matter what you have, it's what you do with what you have. And that is true of everybody, whether you're in the church or out of the church. When Jesus taught this story, this is what he implied. If you're a God follower, then everything on your shelf, in your life, to some extent has been placed into your hands by God himself. The good and the bad, and it all came through the filter of his love for you and his desire to see the kingdom of God expand. And it's a waste of your time and mine to complain over what's there or what isn't there. It's a waste of time because you have an opportunity to do with what has been entrusted to you. What you have, ready for this? Write it down, is irrelevant. What you have is irrelevant. It's what you do with what you have that is relevant. And all of us in this room either get to the five bad guy, the two bad guy, we get to, or the one bad guy have to give an account to God to what he placed into our hands. It's saying something like, God, this is what I was born with. This is what you placed into my hands. And this is what I want to do with it. God, I was born with good health. God, I was born with bad health. God, I was born with a good family. God, I was born with a bad family. God, I was born with lots of money. God, not much. But here's what I did with what you entrusted to me. You left it in my hands. You went on a journey. And after a lifetime, you've come back. What did you do with what I entrusted to you? So here's the question for all of us in the room. What are you going to do with what God has entrusted to you? Every single day of my life, I am tempted to look at everybody else's life. I wish I had that. I wish I lived there. I wish I drove that. I wish I had this opportunity. I wish I had this much money. And God would say to me, as he says to you, it's irrelevant. Stop it. It's a no-win scenario. And what we do is we blame God like the one bagger. It's your fault, God. We never say it out loud. But we say, it's your fault you stuck me in this family. 
And it's September and Thanksgiving is coming. I got to see him again. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that may be too personal. I'm sorry, guys. But Jesus would say, in the kingdom of God, that just doesn't fly. That's what he'd say. And even when you read this parable, even if you've never come to church before, you don't want to be that one guy. None of us do. So, if you're dealing with this, like all of us do, I'm going to suggest a poem. Maybe it could help you navigate this just a little bit. It might help you tune out the comparison thing that we all do. And those of you who know me know I'm not much of a poem guy, except a roses are red, violets are blue kind of thing, but I think this is worth it. It goes like this. When I first met Christ, it seemed as though life was rather like a bike ride. It was a tandem bike, and I noticed that Christ was in the back helping me pedal. I don't know just when that happened, but he suggested we change places. Life has never been the same since. When I had control, I knew the way. It was rather boring, but predictable. It was always the shortest distance between two points. But when he took the lead, he knew delightful long cuts. Up mountains and through rocky places at breakneck speeds. It was all I could do to hang on, even though it looked like madness. He said, pedal. I was worried and anxious and asked, where are you taking me? And he laughed and didn't answer. And I started to learn to trust. I forgot my boring life and I entered into an adventure. And when I said, I'm scared. He'd lean back and he touched my hand. He took me to people with gifts that I needed, gifts of healing and acceptance and joy. He said, give the gifts away. They're extra baggage, too much weight. So I did, and I gave them to the people we met, and I found that in giving I received, and still our burden was light. I did not trust him at first in control of my life. I thought he'd wreck it. But he knows bike secrets. He knows how to make it bend to make sharp corners. He knows how to jump to clear high rocks. He knows how to fly to short and scary passages. And as I'm learning to shut up and pedal in the strangest places, and I'm beginning to enjoy the view and the cool breeze on my face with my delightful, constant companion, Jesus Christ. And when I'm sure I just can't do this anymore. He just smiles at me. And he says, pedal. I don't know where you guys are at. But I know I'm kind of a two-bagger. And I want to live my life in such a way that I'm looking forward to that day. Or I can say, Jesus, look what I did with what you entrusted to me. 
Will you pray with me? God, you're so good. (laughs) You're just so good. I just pray in Jesus' name that you would allow each of us to understand the depth and yet the simple story of the parable of the talents. God, we're in this story. We're in there someplace. And for those who've been one-baggers, God, I pray that today a major shift has taken place in their thinking. That what we have is absolutely irrelevant. It's what we do with what you've entrusted to us. So I pray that this day, this Sunday, might be a day of great decision and that we will find ourselves moving closer to you, understanding the depth of the kingdom of God, what you want to accomplish. And we'll be careful to give you the praise for we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.